Have you ever known a boss like Miranda Priestley? Huh? Sometimes those in authority turn into monsters. Do you know what I mean? They can get so full of themselves and drunk on power that it's really ugly. And I've sometimes asked myself, what is it about leadership, about promotion that can make people so ugly on the inside? And I have some theories I'd like to share with you. For one, the the admiration that they get because of their success, the 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 praise and the compliments, they they read their own clippings, as they used to say. They believe their own press clippings, and they start to view themselves as extraordinary. Their ego goes out of control because people look at them because of their success as some vastly superior human being. Ego, right? And then you add to that ambition. And by ambition, I mean when when you've had a measure of success, uh, you say, wow, that was great. I want more of that. I'm going to get more of that. And so it's never enough. And so leaders tend to be highly driven, ambitious people. Get out of my way. I'm a man. I'm a woman on a mission. And then they find the, the effectiveness of power. They realize that in their position, they have power. Power to, to mobilize people, and they can accomplish their ambitious pursuits through the utilization of power. And power corrupts. And the next thing you know, all of these dynamics have created a monster. An egotistical person who believes that it's all about them. And that all of their subordinates are simply servants designed to contribute to them. If if they're your boss, they would say, they won't say it, but essentially their, their life approach says it. And that is, it's all about me. And you have the unspeakable privilege of playing a support role in my epic adventure of life. You know, doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Folks, in the series on work, we've been studying the tension at times that exists between employer, manager, and the employees, the, the workforce. And uh, I, I wanted to just give you an illustration from the news about how extreme this tension can be. Here's a fire that occurred last week. Maybe you read about this in Woodridge. Now, this is the, the room place. It's a furniture distribution center. And 700,000 square feet burned to the ground. $70 million worth of furniture merchandise was destroyed. It took 100 firefighters from 30 different communities to put this thing out last week. And maybe you read about the cause of the fire. It was management employee tension. Can you believe this? A 20-year-old, no, no offense to you 20-year-olds, but kid, 20-year-old kid is working here, and he gets in a feud with his boss over two days off. Uh, the boss had called him into his office and informed him that due to some of his failure to work Well, he was going to be docked two vacation days. And this young man thought this boss was unfair and wrong and let him know. And the two of them argued about it for half an hour, at which point the young man stormed out of his boss's office and he started the fire. I'll read you the quote. He he spoke to the police and he said, He's always pushing me, speaking of his boss, 
And so I lit a little fire and threw it. Interesting. Lit a little piece of paper and tossed it and walked out. And wow, you know, he might lose his job over this. What do you think, huh? (laughs) Well, the tension between employer, boss, and employee is very, very real. We've already spoken about employees being submissive, diligent workers. But now we're going to talk about the other side of that dimension. We're going to talk about the boss side of it. We're going to talk about it because God talks about it. As we move our way through this Colossians 3 passage, we arrive at our last week. And we actually, this section on bosses and masters transitions into chapter 4. Verse 1 of chapter 4 talks to masters. And so grab your Bible. If you didn't bring one, you can find one in the Seat back in front of you, page 1185, 1185, Colossians 4.1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. All right. So let's talk about this. In fact, we're going to go through this verse, kind of word by word, in some cases, phrase by phrase. Let's start with masters. This passage is directed to masters. We learned that in the ancient first century culture, the workforce was comprised largely of slaves. Slaves were in that situation due to debt most of the time. Because they were so deep in debt, they had to sell themselves to someone and agree to work for them as a slave for a specified amount of time in order to get out of their indebtedness. All right? And so the, the comparison to our culture would be that slaves are like the workforce and masters like management. That application is appropriate and helpful. Now, you may jump in and say, well, then this message has no application to me because I'm not uh, an employer. I don't own my own company. Well, before you uh, jump to that uh, assumption, first of all, let's say this. If you have any leadership role at work, if you're a manager, if you have anybody that reports to you, if you have any authority to lead others, there will be application of this at work. I would also add, maybe you have a leadership role at church, small group leader, leading a team in one of our ministries, you'll find application there. Maybe you have a leadership role at home. If you're a parent, you're leading your kids, so there's application there. Everybody at some point has authority entrusted to them. It's a simple thing like going out to eat. You've got authority. You've got servants, if you will, servers who are there to serve you and I abused that this week. Uh, My daughter, Janae, my middle daughter, turned 12, and we always take our kids out to a restaurant. And I grew impatient with the level of service we were receiving at this restaurant, and my wife (laughs) rebuked me. I I, uh, started to wave, uh, you know, hey, over here, you know, kind of called out a little bit. Jeff, put your hand down. You're going, you're embarrassing me, you know, and Jen was... Uh, convinced, not as much convinced, but that I was being an unrespectful, unloving, ordering around kind of boss over, you know, this workforce. So the point is there's application for everybody because we're all entrusted with authority, with leadership at moments. And so get ready for God to challenge you, shall we? How should we lead? 
Well, first, provide your slaves. This is fascinating. God's perspective of leadership, right off the bat, is that we should be providing our slaves with what is right and fair. We should be providing our employees. Providing is a giving word. Most people think of when they got leadership authority, most think of that as a getting dynamic. I'm going to use people to get from them the help that's needed to make this company or this division successful. And right away, God turns the table on that and says, no, leadership primarily is about providing, about giving, about blessing those under your leadership. Jesus talked about servant leadership. Jesus said, I know that the Gentiles and those in the religious establishment, they use their authority to get. Jesus says, no, I have come to give, and so should you to give and to be a blessing for others. Let's process this a little bit. So often the mentality in the workplace is that the payroll, sometimes it's referred to as, you know, a commodity, is a necessary evil that we've got to have and to use in order to maximize profit. And God says, no, 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 no. They are to be blessed and helped They are not there to help you achieve your success and profit. You are there to help them achieve their success. And and that's a very, very different mindset. So often in leadership, there's this tension between profit and people. And what am I going to emphasize? Am I going to emphasize profit? That's my ultimate goal is to be profitable. And people, you know, I'll just use towards that end. And the Bible says, no, people are not a means to your end. People are the end themselves. And you are to bless them. You come alongside of them and say, I want you to flourish. And I'm here to serve you as your leader. And so I want to coach you and instruct you, give you the knowledge necessary to succeed. I want to help you try to find the right role that is a good fit with who you are so you can succeed. I want to get you the resources needed to succeed. I want to help you knock it out of the park. That's the servant leadership posture Jesus calls us to. It's not about getting, it's about giving. You know, I saw that with Mark Melnati. Remember in week one of this series, we had Mark Melnati, owner of Lou Melnati's in here? And I enjoyed lunch with him at one of his 45 restaurants. Prior to that, we got together over lunch. And at lunch, I was telling a story, which doesn't surprise you. And I was telling a good story, but he wasn't listening. Mark was very distracted, I could tell. And he finally apologized. He said, Jeff, you'll have to forgive me. I am very distracted right now. He said, there's a drinking straw on the ground. Boy, you got issues, Mark. You know, I'm like, that's distracting you? And he went on. He said, the bus boy, a new bus boy, has stepped over it three times. And he says, if he steps over it again, I'm going to talk to him. And I'm like, I felt the tension in the room. So you've got to know, the bus boy had no idea that this was Mark Malnati, the owner. Mark's got over 3,000 employees. He can't get around to knowing all of them. And so... This poor bus boy had no idea, and here he's walking down the aisle, and I'm praying for him. Bus boy, notice the straw. (laughs) 
busboy. Lord didn't answer the prayer. He stepped right over that straw a fourth time. And Mark says, excuse me. And I'm like, he's dead. He's dead. I'm going to watch him get canned right here, you know. I thought that the motivation for Mark was all profit at this moment. I thought Mark was thinking, you know, if I don't operate with a clean environment, I will not maximize profits. And I thought Mark's only motive was this can't be. I discovered by overhearing the interaction, and it was very close to me, uh, that there was love all over it. I'm not denying that Mark's got an eye on profit. He needs to. We all should. That's not wrong. But Mark does not go after profit at the expense of valuing people. He put his arm around this young man. He first introduced himself. He says, I, I'm Mark Melnati, the owner of Lumanati. The kid goes white, you know. <laughs> and he said, hey, uh, the straw, I don't think you noticed it. Well, maybe you did, and you, you stepped over it four times. <laughs> and, and Mark says, here's the deal. He said, in order for us to be a great restaurant, all of us need to value cleanliness of environment. He says, I, I know you're new, so you're, you're still learning. And he said, you're going to get it. He goes, I am so glad you're part of the team. And I am so grateful thinking of what your team contribution is going to be as you continue to grow. Well, here's what we need to do. And he kind of gave him a vision talk. And he had a very loving, coaching, valuing, serving mentality. It's a delicate balance to say, Lord, I do want to achieve profit, but I also want to value people, and I want to love the people and serve the people, because Lord, I know you value people. Jesus Christ died on the cross for every single human being. He adores the people at the top of the orchard and the people at the bottom of the orchard. He adores them all, and we should too. Our leadership should reflect the intrinsic value God places on every human being. And our leadership should say, hey, I'm here to help you succeed at work. So that's the first thing, to have a selfless, providing, serving mentality. Second, provide your slaves what is right Uh, We are to have a leadership that's marked by doing what's right. As we interact with our subordinates, we are supposed to be committed to doing what's right. And when we talk about principle and what's right, we're not talking about what society thinks is right. We're talking about what God thinks is right. I should be clear on this. Uh, Paul is not saying... Masters, you should treat your slaves according to what the Roman Empire says is right. No. It's what God says is right. And here's the tension. Sometimes doing what's right costs you money. And if it's all about maximizing profit, sometimes it's easy to cut corners and not treat people rightly. And God says, submit all your decisions to me and ask, Lord, what is right in your eyes? And even if it's costly, I want to do what's right in relation to people. And I was thinking about what are some examples of doing what's right. And and I thought of providing a good work environment. You know, you've heard of 
bygone eras or other parts of the world where there are sweatshops and people are treated like a commodity and used and abused in unhealthy environments. We should say, I am going to spend money if I have that authority to provide a safe and a pleasant work environment because these people matter to God and that's what's right. I thought of another right principle in God's eyes and that's grace. Grace is when people make costly mistakes and we don't just fire them. We extend grace and we say, hey, you know what? We all make mistakes. And we say, let's, let's do a do-over. We give an, a second chance. And you say, oh, that's, that's costly, you know, to be gracious. Yeah, it may be costly, but it's right in God's eyes. Does that mean we never let go of people? No. But if we're convinced they're not a good fit after much grace, that transition, you know, has happened in a great, should happen in a gracious way. But grace is a principle that's right according to God. Well, one more. I thought of benefits, providing benefits. If you have the capacity uh, to make that happen, uh, benefits, whether they be health benefits or uh, retirement benefits, these benefits, they're costly, but they honor people that are valuable to, valuable to God and therefore they're right. I, I read this week about a guy, a, a leader who's striving to provide health bene- or benefits to his employees because it's right. And that's the, the CEO of Chobani, a uh, Greek yogurt company. Maybe some of you read about this. Uh, this guy, uh, 10 years ago, started this yogurt company. It's in rural New York in the rolling hills, little town called New Berlin. Almost the entire town works for Chobani Greek yogurt. My wife loves this stuff. She's Greek, 100%. So we, we're, we eat a lot of this. Keep this, these people in business. Uh, well, this owner striving to not view his workforce as a means to an end, but as a precious, valuable, sacred entrustment. And he pays each of his workers more than minimum wage, more than the law requires, more than he has to, to honor them. Uh, he provides health benefits to every single full-time employee. Uh, he, he provides retirement ma- matching, you know, they invest and the company will put some in. But he was grieving that not many of the employees were actually taking him up on that benefit. And he, he has this statement in his article. He says, I worry about retirement. I, I was caught by that. Just to clarify, he's not worrying about his own retirement. His retirement's just fine. But he worries about his people's retirement. That shows a, a concern for his employees that's pretty rare. Well, well, check this out. This week, at their Tuesday staff meeting, he shows up and says, I have a special announcement. Here's a picture of the Tuesday staff meeting. Just happened this week. Uh, here's the owner of the company, and he had a big stack of white envelopes, and he said, I've decided to help all of you in retirement by making all of you, not just employees, but stock owners in the company. And so he said, I'm giving everybody ownership in the company based on how long you've been with us. Now, they've only been around for 10 years, so, uh, you know, it's that little window. The average stock value that he handed out to just your average employee was $150,000 worth of stock. 
those who have been with the company longer got over a million dollars in stock. Here, look at, look at the next picture. I mean, people are hugging the boss, you know what I mean? I mean, factory workers who are instantly millionaires because of this pretty cool Monday or Tuesday staff meeting, isn't that? Okay, so this is a bit of an extreme example. I'm not saying you should hand out a million dollars to all the people who work for you. But this guy demonstrates the heart of God in that it's not just about how can I maximize profit. It's about how can I do what's right? How can I honor people and provide what's right in God's eyes? Let's move on. So what's right next, what's fair? Fairness is a comparative word. People cry unfair when they compare themselves and how they're being treated to how someone else is being treated in their situation. And we should strive to be fair. Now, does fairness mean everybody gets paid the same? No. Uh, Different levels of responsibility, uh, it's appropriate for them to be paid differently. But people who are at the same level of responsibility, who have been with the company the same amount of time, who are achieving the same level of work inputs and are working as diligently and accomplishing as much, they should be paid the same. Uh, One of the ways we even strive for this here at church is we pay for an industry standard study where we can learn what other pastors at various levels of the organization are being paid in our community so that we can be fair. Uh, Folks, fairness matters to God. And fairness is not just, you know, people being paid the same. Fairness also means avoiding discrimination. You know, in the workplace, at times, people are discriminated against because of their gender or because of their race or because of their age. And people should not be receiving benefits and being blessed because of those things. They should be evaluated by their work and not the color of their skin or their gender or their age. Amen? So let's be fair in those ways as well. Let's move on. As we move through this passage, we come to this interesting phrase. Masters, you know that you also have a master in heaven. What's the Lord getting at here? There's a temptation in leadership to be viewing yourselves as so much different from those low people in the org charts. I am the master and they are the servant. And God goes, phooey! The Lord says, let's get real. Uh, In my eyes, you're all servants, right? Master, you too have a master. You too are a servant. And we're supposed to view who we are, not in the eyes of what society says, but in the eyes of God. And God says, you know what? I don't care if you're the top dog or the uh, low man on the totem pole. In my eyes, you're all people. And if you're a Christian, if you're Christians, you're all sinners who have been saved by grace. You've all messed up and you've all turned to Jesus saying, would you please wash away my sin? And the blood of Christ has been applied to everybody and you're all outrageously blessed to be forgiven and adopted into God's family. And you stand on the same level as peers under 
Christ. And so leaders should not be all arrogant. I'm the master. No. I am a humble, grateful servant of the Lord. That's who I am. And never lose sight of that. That became very apparent to me a few years back, back when I was working at my last church. I, I met a guy who had been a part of our church for a while. I had not had a chance to talk with him. And as I talked with him, he shared with me where he worked and what he did. And he works at this huge Chicago-based company of 23,000 employees. So really, really big, right? And he said that I'm in the main building at the reception desk. He says, I'm the receptionist. I have been for decades. I uh, greet folks as they come in, answer calls. And uh, I said to him, do you happen to be aware that the CEO of your company, over all 23,000, He is a believer. In fact, he goes to our church. And he said, yeah, I know that. He's a friend of mine. And he said, well, I'd I'd like to say he's a friend of mine. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, well, every morning when he comes into work, he stops by my desk and we chat and laugh a little bit. In fact, he goes on on, uh, Monday mornings, we critique your sermon together as we stand there. (laughs) He's my friend. And I thought to myself, this CEO gets it. Yeah, he may be paid more, and he may have a lot more authority in that company from this guy on the opposite end of the org chart. But he understands in God's eyes, (laughs) we're just two guys. Two guys who are nasty sinners, who begged for grace from Jesus, who found forgiveness and grace from Jesus and who are enjoying this privileged status of being God's children. And so we're friends. And folks, that's what we need to be. If God entrusts us with leadership, don't think too highly of yourself. You are, just like everybody else, a forgiven sinner, a child of God, a servant of the King of Kings. You know, in the song we're about to sing, it expresses that. It says, hey, I'm going to follow you. You're the boss, Lord, and I'm a follower. At work, I'm still a follower, and I'm going to be a leader your way. Lord, I will follow you. Shall we pray? God, thank you for the Bible. Love the book. Thank you for this gift, Lord. Thank you for teaching us your ways, for teaching us your ways at work. Lord, none of us embody your vision for the workplace fully. Help us to understand it and to live it. And God, I pray that we would grow to enjoy work more and more because we're doing it your way. God, I pray that across the Compass Church, we would come to a place (laughs) where we can actually say, thank God it's Monday. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.